we're starting a brand new series. And the series is called Jesus Uncovered. And so it's appropriate that we start looking um, at Jesus and start reflecting because it's the season of Lent. As many of you know, Lent started on Wednesday. Did anybody get like ashes or anything like that? Okay, there's a few of us, right? Yeah, they would get ashes just to be reminded of this incredible thing that God did. So we're reflecting on this incredible person, Jesus, our Christ. And so uh, it's interesting because you're going to see magazine. I mean, the whole world is like dialed in to who Jesus is at this season especially. Like, in fact, um, I'll pull up a Time magazine um, uh, cover, and it says, uh, who was Jesus, right? Who was Jesus? Now, Time magazine, let me tell you something. If you don't know, if you don't learn anything about this uh, uh, today, you should know this. Jesus sells, right? (laughs) Time magazine would not be putting Jesus on their cover if he did not, if he was not intriguing, to people. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you love Jesus or uh, really want nothing or apathetic to Jesus, or want nothing to do with Jesus or apathetic to him, if you are a staunch atheist or deeply, deeply um, loving Christ, this is an interesting series, and you should uh, come because it tells you what the most interesting person who has ever lived, the most famous person who has ever lived, the most controversial person who has ever lived. But it doesn't stop with Time Magazine. Ebony is in search of the quest for the black Christ. And I think that this is marvelous. In other words, we are looking to Christ. Who is he? What's he like? If if he's true, if he's real, could I have relationship with him? And last, we'll put uh, the Time Magazine cover, The Search. For Jesus, right? And he looks like an indie punk rocker, I know. But, um, but here's the thing. That's the search, isn't it? The way we view Christ, the way we look at Jesus, the way we respond to Jesus really does affect every other area of our lives. I mean, it'll affect your marriage. Really affect your marriage. It'll affect how you raise your children. It'll affect what you say yes to. And it'll affect what you say no to. It'll affect what you do and what you say no to. See, when we talk about who Jesus is, it is the most important, not only person, but subject matter we could possibly talk about. So we're going to be spending some weeks talking about Jesus, um, which should be no surprise in our church. Now, interestingly enough, um, when uh, my children, when they were young, they would say this to each other, especially the girls. Not so much Edwin because he's so much older, but um, when the girls were growing up, they would um, have these arguments, and in the end, the trump of the argument, what would put a nail in the coffin of the argument, what would stop the argument would be who, one of the girls would say something like, you're not the boss of me. That would stop everything. That would stop everything. You don't rule me. You don't reign over me. You don't tell me what to do. By saying you're not the boss of me, they were saying you do not get to direct or dictate the direction of my life or in that particular case how much ice cream you're going to give me. (laughs) See, 
Everybody knows that if you have someone who has an authority over you, they get to tell you what to do. So today, as we start looking at Jesus, we're going to look at Jesus as prophet. We're going to look at Jesus as, as servant. We're going to look at Jesus as God. We're going to look at, but today we're going to start looking at Jesus as king. He's king. Now, I know because we don't come from like a, you know, we don't come from a, uh, a, a feudal system, so we don't know like princes and vassals and kings and queens. That's not something that we're really familiar with within the context of America. But everybody understands what a king is once you mention it, right? Uh, if I say this, uh, the ma man is the king of his castle. What am I saying? I'm not saying whether we agree with that or not. I'm saying, what does it say? Oh, it says that he's, he has domain, he has rule, he has, right? And all the girls cringe, all the women cringe at that idea uh, because you know your man. And <laughs> no. Um, so, um, so the question is, if Jesus is king, who are his subjects and where is his rule? So here's what you have to know. There is a king. There is a king. There's a king that rules the world. And if that is true, that there is a king, then we need to find out who this king is and what is his authority. So let's stand as we read the scriptures. We're going to be looking at the second introduction to the book of Psalms. Psalm 2 is like the second introduction to, it's like Psalm 1 is the first introduction to the book of Psalms. Psalm 2 is the second introduction to the book of Psalms. And so we're going to be reading the entire Psalms. I'll encourage you to read it along with me and, um, and uh, soak it in. This is a great Psalm. Now, the reason that we stand up uh, at the reading of the scriptures, we do this as a tradition every time we read the scriptures. And the reason we do that is because we want to be reminded. And sometimes we need that reminder. Not sometimes. I know I need it a lot more than most. We need to be reminded that what we're about to read has authority. Yeesh, there's that word again. Authority over our lives. Okay? So let's, let's look at it. On a count of three, we can read together. Uh, one, two, three. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possessions. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, 
or he will be angry with, and your way will lead your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This ends the reading of God's word. Please have a seat. So there is a king, and we hate that idea. The fact that we have a king is not a surprise. That God is a king is not a surprise. What may be a surprise is that nobody wants a king. And maybe that's not a surprise either. Nobody wants anyone to rule over them. Nobody wants anyone to be the authority over their lives. We want sovereignty in our rulership. So here in the second psalm is like a coronation psalm. This is the psalm that they would use when their kings would come into authority. So it's, it has that meaning, that local meaning. So uh, uh, King David had a son. His name was Solomon. Solomon would come in. That would be the psalm that would coronate his, um, that would coronate his rule. That this is, oh, okay, there's a king in Israel. Everybody on the earth fear this king. This king would have authority, and he was empowered by the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God himself. He would have rule. But it doesn't just have that uh, meaning on it. It has a second meaning. Because all of the directions that we hear, all of the, not the directions, but all of the descriptions that we hear about this psalm, no king in Israel really uh, fulfilled. But there was one one who was from the line of David, a king above all kings, a lord above all lords, who would fulfill everything that a good king should be and more. Let's look at this text. It asks a question, and this is the question of our lives. Because when it talks about nations, it's talking about people like me and you. Look at the first question. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? Ask yourself that question. Why is God's authority not enough in your life? The question is a very powerful one. The question is one, it's introspective. Well, it's, it's, it's a question, but that can be introspective. And it's simply this. It's why do the people of the earth conspire, make plans, ploys, ideas, and rebellions against God. Why do people do it? Let's think about that. But wait, pause. Let's think about why we do that. Because it's so much easier to go, oh my goodness, could you see her? Like, how easy is it, ladies, how easy is it to have been, like, you know, you go, girl, you going out with that guy? How could you be going out with that guy? That guy is terrible. And then somebody tell you that, and you'd be like, what? How could you say that to me, right? It's just that way. It's so much easier to look at other people and go, why, why, why? Which is wonderful, which is why the scriptures are so beautiful in that we should, when we see others sin, we should look at it like a speck in their eye and we should look at our sin like a a beam or a plank. So when I see other sins, one of the things, one of the habits that God is sort of welling up inside my soul is when I see a sin of a husband to his wife a father to his children. When I see their sins, I go, God, do I do that? Do I do what they're doing? 
So when I ask the questions, why do the nations cons uh, conspire? Why do people rebel? When I ask that question, I want to start asking myself, and here's the deal. Here's the truth about kingship. You will have a king sovereignly ruling over your life. The question is, who will that king be? The question is never, ever, I don't want a king ruling over my life. I don't want a God to tell me what to do. The fact is, is that you will choose a God. The, this is not an issue of atheists and believers. This is an issue of worship. Everybody will worship. If you don't believe me, just look at some of your past relationships. What did you do in order to keep a relationship going that never worked out? Oh my gosh, who was ruling your life at that moment? Right? Ah. So the question is, who will be the ruler of your life? Well, I can tell you that there are four top heavyweight contenders for the rule of your life. You've heard me speak about this, but it's worth repeating. The first uh, ruler, uh, or the first lord, or the first god that will compete in your life will be significance. That, that is, and when we use the word significance, what we're saying is that's an over-longing to fame, no, not to fame, yeah, to fame yourself. An over-longing, more than wanting God famed, more than wanting God be made of a big deal, more than having God become a big deal in your life, you want yourself to be a big deal in your life. If you don't think you struggle with this Lord or this God called significance, does anybody here, don't raise your hands, does anybody here go to a 12-step program? Okay, right? Yeah, there's a few of you. You don't have to raise your hands. It's cool. If you've ever been in an anniversary of a person whom you've helped throughout the year, and they start rattling off names of people who really mean a lot to them, and they forget your name, that feeling that you get in that moment is your longing for significance. It's wanting to be famous. Who cares? You were like, nah, man, who cares? I did this. When you did it, it was like, you know, they were like thanking you or whatever. You were, you were like, no, I just, the Lord. It was the Lord. Surely. Don't thank me. Thank Jesus. Of course. Of course. And then they forget your name, and you're like, I can't believe they. Right. Of course it's like that, right? And, and you don't even have to be in like a 12-step program to feel that way, right? Isn't it true? Isn't it true? In all sorts of areas of life, when you feel like you are not appreciated or you are not famed or you are not sufficiently elevated, this happens in church world too. Oh, my goodness. When people um, get acknowledged from the front, we used to have this thing back when we were called NBT. We were the New Baptist Temple. And we would have, it was a catchy name. I want to change our name back to the New Baptist Temple just for this one thing. Um, it, was, uh, it was NBT's MVP, right? Isn't that just cool? I came up with it myself. I feel pretty good about that. And even in that statement, I'm feeling my level of significance going higher, so I need to watch out. But here's the point. The point is, is that we would have people, and we would just like celebrate them. It was just like, you know, people who had served, and we can't do everybody, but we would do like one person a week. We should probably go back to this. Um, and we would give them like a gift card or something like that, like a little, you know, a little, just a token of our appreciation, like a $25 gift card to Target or something like that, right? 
And so it was just like, thank you so much for serving. It's so beautiful. And all right. So we would inevitably pick somebody, right? And it was like, you know, Fulano, whoever he was, right? Um, it's a Spanish way of saying that guy, right? And it's like Joe Schmo. And so we would pick that person, that woman, whoever, and we would celebrate them. We would tell everybody what we do. And inevitably, three people would stop coming to church, stop coming, gathering. And we would go, hey, Susie, we haven't seen you for a while. And they would come up with, in the end, if you have a long enough conversation, it was like, nobody appreciates what I do. It's the number, it's one of the heavy, I can't spend too much time, I'm spending too much time. Significance is one of the heavyweight champs that will want to be crowned king in your life, that you will want to rule, that if you get the uh, credit, then you'll do the work. But if you don't get the credit, who wants to? And then, then there's, um, so there's significance, and then there's approval. That's another heavyweight champ for the kingship of your life, approval. The approval is, and boy, this goes in a million different ways, but it's believing that the uh, approval of others or believing that the desire of others is more beautiful, more uh, significant than God's way of approving you, which is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we'll do anything for approval. Ladies, you'll get older in age. I was just having a conversation. I was just recently having a conversation with a person who was uh, in a relationship with a woman who was in her like early to mid 40s. And she's in this relationship with this guy who doesn't want to have kids, but she really does want to have kids. And she's still with him. And he's, he's probably not going to give her kids. But she wants his approval so bad, she's willing to sacrifice and dead in this area of her life, which I'm sure she's going to regret. Now, here's the point. What's the point? We'll do so many crazy things to get the approval of others. We'll, go, we'll compromise our morals. We'll go against our friend's advice. We'll rebel against God's word. We'll deny any truth that's presented to us just for the approval, just for the, you know you, my boo. <laughs> or actually, that's played out. I'm a little old. You know you're my bae, right? That's the, that's the new one, right? You know you, my bae. I'm cooler than the rest of you because I knew that. Y'all didn't even know that was true, right? Because you're old. And so, Okay. So, but, but this question, again, why do the nations conspire? Because they want significance. Because we want, forget they, we want significance. We want approval. What's another one? Comfort. That's another king that will want to rule your life. Every, in fact, some of the most significant, guys, some of the most significant arguments you'll have with your children and your spouse, some of the some most significant arguments will be when they invade your comfort. And that's wanting pleasure more than you want the pleasure that Christ gives. That comfort, I just want to relax. Some of you, you know, right, it's football, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's hockey, it's whatever it is, right, guys? It's, it's, it's one or the other. And we just, we just want to be left alone as if God could not give us the rest that we desperately need, the pleasure that we desperately need. And we'll try to find it in buying things we can't afford, to impress people who are not even looking. Listen, 
when we bow down before the king of comfort, everybody else has to work harder. Everybody else gets uncomfortable in our lives. But that's another ruler that we'll bow down to. Significance, comfort, approval. The last king that we'll talk about today, there are more, but I, these are the four, four top heavyweight champs. It's control. Control. That is a king that you and I will bow down to and obey much more than Jesus. And here's the thing. We will get to a circumstance in our life, and we'll, we won't say this out loud. We won't even think it, but this is exactly what we'll do. We'll say, Jesus, you are not being a good manager of my life. I think I am going to at least, I won't fire you because I like you, but I'm at least going to lay you off. I'm going to lay you off, and then for these, call it, right? Three hours, three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years. I am going to be the ruler, the sovereign, the one who controls everything in my life. Should I do this? Should I not do this? It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what I think. I am in control. This person is behaving in a way that is going to bring me pain. I am not going to pray for them, and I'm not going to submit unto the Lord and ask God what I should do. I'm going to take the bull by the horns. Control. Oh, my goodness. Again, we go back to, you know, we're making guy illustrations, and we're making gal illustrations. And so this is a war woman illustration. But what do you do? You, and and we'll, let's start with the guys first. What do you do? You find someone that you, you like, you want to date. Right, guys? And what do you do? You spend more money than you have. You put yourself in debt. You get her used to a generous man that doesn't exist. <laughs> then when she starts treating you like the generous man that does exist, you get angry that she believed a fantasy. Ladies, what do we do? What do we do, right? Here's what we do. We invite the boy to, the, to our church, our sacred sanctuary, the bedroom. And because he is our God, we lay down on the bed, spread our legs, and worship. Because he's your king. He's your God. What he, what you need to control that he doesn't go away. You need to give him something that he won't leave you over. The Bible be damned. Jesus leading be damned. Jesus kingship be damned. The point that I'm trying to make is that you will have a king in your life. And the reason that you will rebel, the way you answer this question, is because you're following one of those other four kings that we just mentioned. And if you continue following those kings, they will rob you, rape you, pillage you, leave you weeping in the corner, wondering what happened in your life. And you've already experienced this. If you've ever looked at the rearview mirror of your life and seen the past and asked yourself this question, what on earth was I thinking? thinking. 
You've already bowed to one of those kings if you've, in fact, looked back. And that's just the first verse. <laughs> We're going to have to move on quicker than that. Um, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, now, we're speaking, now, remember, remember what I said, this psalm is dealing with a coronation. It's talking about an actual king in their presence of Israel, and now it's reflecting out, why do these kings um, react this way? The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers of the band together, against the Lord, against his anointed. Interestingly enough, that word anointed you know what that word is? It's literally Messiah. So, again, we have little glimpses. This psalm is going, yes, yes, there's a king here, Solomon, let's say. There's a king here, Rehoboam. There's a king, yeah, there, there's a king here, sure. Sure there's a king here. But there's another king, a greater king a more wonderful king. We could justify our rebelling against worldly, earthly kings because they don't govern well, and they're oppressive, and they're selfish. But we could never say that about our King Jesus. Amen. He is the king of our souls. Amen. He is the lover of our lives. He is the one who lays down his life for our joy. You know what kings do? Kings, if they're going to conquer territory, do you know what they do? They send the men of the village, the men of their authority, they send them to war. They send them off to war to die so that they can get more territory. You know what God does for the territory of your soul? He comes and dies himself. He's the one who goes to war. He's the one who fights the battle. He's the one who lays himself in harm's way, takes not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. He lays down his life, taking the bullet for each one of us, saying, screaming at the thought of your heart, screaming, mine. I want your heart. Your heart is mine. And we busy ourselves with such a great king, yet we busy ourselves with cake and sex and clothes. And listen to what the kings say. They say, let us, verse 3, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Let me tell you something. And again, we've been saying this over and over. The kings would say that they don't want to be ruled. They don't want to have that authority over them, just like me and you. In fact, this is literally the most, I mean, you can't preach. Like, in America, trying to preach about authority, it doesn't go well. Like, every one of us think we know better. Imagine that, thinking we know better than God. But we do. We think we know better than God. And it always leaves us in strong... Listen to me. There is an enslavement that belongs to Christ that leaves us free. 
And there is a rebellion that's in Christ that leads us to deeper enslavement. Do you see? The enslavement to Christ leads to deeper freedom. You go, how is that possible? It's always that way. Real freedom, people think that real freedom is like shelling, you know, you don't do what anybody says, you don't follow any disciplines, you don't do what any, that's what real freedom is. I'm telling you, that is real bondage. If you don't believe me, ask anybody who's ever been to a detox. You understand that that was freedom run amok. That that's what true freedom looks like. Ask anybody who's had a divorce because of uh, infidelity. That's what real freedom looks like. Beloved, that's not the kind of freedom we're talking about. The kind of freedom we're talking about submits itself unto the Lord, has the King, Jesus, ruling over us. And what he says brings us more joy and more satisfaction and more freedom. It's like, it's like, um, like if you're working for the Olympics, have you ever, um, have you ever seen those people like who, uh, they, they, they participate in the Olympic Games, and then like in recent years, meaning in the last like 20 something years, they have all these um, videos they tell you about their lives. And you know, so like it's the gymnast girl who goes on and says, yeah, I didn't have any friends in high school. I would just go to school and then go to practice at the gym. I would wake up at 3 o'clock. The swimmers would say, I woke up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. I would do laps before I went to school. After school, I would work out some more. Like, they would just, all these sacrifices. And if you ask them at that point, they go, that seems like an awful lot of sacrifice. It seems like you're in bondage. But then ask them that same question after they win a gold medal. They're like, all that bondage led to immense joy and freedom. You know what? When we bond ourselves to Christ, he doesn't require for us to act in a dutiful way. He just says, listen, we're in a love relationship. We're in a, if you could think, um, a salsa dance, right? It's not like a set of rules when you, when you submit your life to Jesus. It's not like a set of rules where you have to obey. It's more like getting on the dance floor with Hector Lavoe, right? If you don't know who Hector Lavoe is, you need to find out. You have permission to Google him now. It's, uh, he's, a, he's a big deal. He's the Elvis of the Puerto Ricans. And so, <laughs> I like that, the Puerto Ricans. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican, so I can do that. And so, all right. So, so, but it's this beautiful dance. And if you've ever been in a dance, if you've ever been in a dance, what you know, and if, ladies, if you've ever been in a dance with a, with a guy who actually knows how to dance, it's subtle movements, subtle touches, subtle movements. That just, and you just go, and you just, oh, the joy and the freedom of that kind of death. That's what we're in. We're in a sacred, when Jesus is leading, when he's like, when he looks you in the eye, and he says, and he has your, your upper back, and he says, follow my lead. This is going to be good. And so, and then he starts to, and he starts to move you around. There's that's the kind of lordship. That's the kind of kinship. And you know what? When you rebel and you start bumping into other people and stepping on toes and all hokey, and this is no fun. I know. I know. That's why you need to follow my lead. Let's try again. Follow my lead. This is going to be fun. And then you go. You see, the idea of coming to Christ and saying no 
I want to break off the chains. I don't want to have your fetters on me. The idea of doing that, believe me, beloved, is begging bondage to come into your life. Jesus says it this way. My yoke, it's easy. My burden, it's light. We've only gone through the first three verses. Beloved, there's so much more here. Let's jump down to um, verse 12 or verse 10. Let's not do, ah, ah, verse 7. There's so much good stuff here. This is terrible. I'm too long-winded. I'm going to work on that. Okay, verse 7. He goes, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Remember, we're talking about the king who would be coronated. He would receive that. But that was never more said than on Jesus when he was uh, baptized. Do you remember what happened? Heavens opened up. A dove comes down. Like a, This is my son whom I am well pleased. You are my son today. I have become your father. See, what we need most is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And what that produces in our lives is verses 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Can I, can I talk to you about that thing with fear? Because when, when we talk about, the, the, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom, like if you want the foundation, the very bottom, like if you want the lowest point of wisdom, it's the fear of the Lord. And you're like, ugh, I don't know. And the reason is, it's because maybe we come from families where fathers were, te were terror. They were terrorists. They would come home. I don't know if you've experienced that. I've come home where, like, when daddy comes home, it's not a fun thing. It's a very scary, scary thing. And so we think of that. No, no, no. Listen. The fact is, when it says fear, there's... There's a reverence, there's an awe, there's, but it, it, it feels a lot like fear. Like there's no better word. There's no better word you could use. It, 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 God grabs your attention. Almost like, have you done this? Um, you're walking across the street, you're looking at your phone, and you know, you're texting or you're looking at your Facebook page or whatever, and you're walking across the street, and then, beep, you go, <gasps> okay, whatever had your attention the Facebook page, the text that you were supposed to buy, the email, the, you know, the cat video, whatever had your attention, whatever had your attention loses all value in that moment of, <gasps> that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's all of your affection, all of your attention. He's so awesome. You're just, <gasps> he's here. You never, you never, like God is never blasé. God is never like humdrum. God, God is, he's fierce. He's awesome. He takes all of your attention. God is more fierce than a hurricane. He's more awesome than a tsunami. God is incredible. And when God comes into your life, I'm telling you, there's this thing called fear, not terror in the sense like, oh, he's going to beat me. The fact is that whatever punishment you deserve was given unto Christ. And so we can come to him as our king and we can be his subjects in his authority because whatever punishment we deserved was already given to Jesus. And I'm telling you, you deserved a lot. You think if you ever, if you sit here and you go, God could never forgive me of that. Is it, the truth is, is that you're right about that. God could never forgive you about that. But the fact is, is that Christ stayed in your place and took on the punishment that you deserved and therefore because of Christ's work on your behalf you get 
this forgiveness and freedom and joy, but it's because of God. Because God, our precious Jesus, our God, comes down from heaven to earth and he dies for your sins. That God is not a God to be trifled with. That God is not a God to be put in your back pocket. That God is not a God to sort of kind of be cognizant of, but not really paying attention to. That God is the kind of God that (gasps) takes your breath away. He's here. He's powerful. He's awesome. If he wanted, he could incinerate us in a second or he could take us into his arms and he's chosen to take us into his arms. That's not the God that you say, give me a second to. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. I love that. And then it says, kiss his son or he will be angry and your ways will lead to your destruction. I'll read the rest of it because we'll, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now look at me, look at me. I love this, pas- this part of the passage and this is where we're going to close. When, when God says to kiss his son, again, remember, it's a coronation ceremony. There's a king sitting on a throne, but it's not only just thinking about that king right there. It's also thinking about the future glorious king in who Christ is, right? We got that? So let's think ahead to this glorious king, Jesus. When he says kiss his son, when, when the nations would ask others to kiss um, the king, it was an act of deep humility. Here's what it was. So a king would come to uh, a ruling king and he would kiss the floor. In other words, kissing the king. He would declare right before the king, like right, like not his feet, but like the feet right in front of him, the, 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 the floor right in front of his feet. He would kiss it, and that was an act of humility, saying, you have rule, you have life. I submit my life to you. You have the authority in my life. Rule as you will. I trust you. So when God says, kiss his son, kiss the king, What God is talking about is a submission unto the one who's glorious and who's conquered, not not by sending you to conquer, by being good, by doing right, by following the rules. No, 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 no. But by him conquering sin and death, Satan and evil on your behalf. He conquers it all. And he says, now submit to me. Submit to me. Kiss the son. Kiss the son. And so... Here's what I need you to do. Listen. Submit to Christ. As we start this series in this first Sunday of Lent, there has never been a time more to just bow low and go, you're a king and you're great and you're glorious. There's never been a time more beautiful to just say, God, you have the authority in my life. Now, My encouragement to you is to ask this question. As you're moving throughout um, your week, this week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, God, I have a decision to make. How can I kiss you in this decision? God, you're the ruler, the leader, the, the authority in my life. How can I kiss you in this decision? You just missed your train. You have an opportunity to freak out, to get all anxious, or to go, God, 
Let me tell you the truth. The reason I missed that train is because I was lollygagging and I watched one minute too much on the news or the, you know, the Facebook or whatever it was. Um, God, it's really my fault that I missed that train. But Lord, would you just give me a peace that you're with me, even though I'm afraid I might lose my job. I'm afraid that I'm going to be late for work. I'm afraid that they're going to dock my pay. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to make it on time. Lord, would you teach me what it is to kiss you right now, to submit to your authority, to understand that you rule and you reign, and that even when I blow it, you still come to my aid? What would it look like? I'm telling you, that would change your day. It would change your marriage. It would change your life. It, another example, you're, you're at home, and your spouse accuses you of something, and... And you're hurt by it because you feel like you didn't, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't do that. And, and your, your spouse accuses you of something. And you're like, okay, God, what does it look like? I could defend myself. Oh, that's not good. I can start accusing back. Oh, that's not so good. But God, what does it look like to kiss you in this moment? And just go, what would it look like to say, hun, I, I don't know that what you're saying about me is true, but I want to hear. I want to hear more. I want, what, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Man. Your spouse might go, well, I don't know what to say right now. I've never had that response from you before. It's, it just, it might, listen. Another one. So, you're in front of that, that addiction that you got. You know, the addiction that you got, the one that's in the refrigerator or at the store or that call that you make or that person that you love more than Jesus, yeah. you're, you're right in front, you have an option to go towards your addiction, to go towards your king, tiny king, or to go and bow, God, what does it mean to kiss the king right now? What does it mean? To, what does it mean? How, what is it that I'm looking from this person, this place, this thing? What does it look like? What does it mean to go to you for that satisfaction, to go to you for my approval, to go to you for my comfort, to go to you to trust you to control the circumstance, to go to you for approval? What would it look like right now? How do you control the situation? How do you approve of me? even though I don't feel like I measure up. How do you, what? Man. If you, did it, if you did that for one week, here's what I, I guarantee you would happen. Number one, your heart would start to grow in affection for Jesus because you would find Jesus is delightful in the midst of those moments of panic and woe and fear and terror. You would find that in the, in the moment of greatest despair that Jesus is enough. That's what you would find. Secondly, Here's what would happen. You would stop worshiping other kings. You would stop bowing down to other kings and start truly enjoying the king of the universe. Thirdly, you probably have to say I'm sorry a lot less, a lot less, if Christ was truly your king. Now.